So Claudia Jones is a thinker whose life deeply informed her theory. And she's also not necessarily read or read widely in the academic fields and disciplines where she certainly makes contributions, critical theory and thinking philosophy where I would have been trained. So could you give a few biographical details uh, that you find relevant in her life uh, regarding the theory we're gonna talk about tonight? Yes, thank you so much for the question. Um, I guess to answer that question, um, I will have to uh, first uh, you know, talk about um, really the life, the political life of Claudia Jones, and also a little bit about the kind of erasure and disappearing of her from a variety of uh, academic discourses. So um, to talk about her um, life, um, so I have to really, first of all, uh, mention the work of uh, my advisor, Carol Boyce Davis, who also recommended me um, uh, uh, to, uh, for, for this talk. So in uh, Left of Karl Marx, uh, she really um, gave us a lot of very important information about Claudia Jones. And I really just want to hear, kind of briefly talk about some important uh, moments in her life. Mm -hmm. so, um, so she was born, uh, Claudia Jones was born in Port of Spain, Trinidad, and uh, migrated to the US at the age of eight. Uh, she grew up in a working class family, experienced racism, class oppression, and anti-immigrant hostility early in life. Um, she became a communist uh, uh, when she uh, was impressed with the, the communist party's advocacy efforts on behalf of uh, Scottsboro boys. And um, as she um, became more and more involved in communist work, so she was able to um, uh, basically became a, a communist party leader. So, um, so she was elected into the National Committee of the Communist Party USA and she um, worked in movements for women's liberation, peace, racial justice, um, and uh, um, other uh, causes. So she was also a member of a variety of uh, black left uh, organizations, including National Negro Congress and um, uh, the black left feminist organization, Sojourners for Truth and Justice, which um, according to Eric Gaddafi, who actually uh, wrote a book uh, that has a lot of information about that organization. Um, this organization paid special attention to the intersectional systemic nature of black women's oppression and understood their struggle for dignity and freedom in global terms. As Claudia Jones became more and more involved in a variety of uh, social justice causes, um, she also really uh, became a target of the entire um, I guess, uh, Cold War uh, repressive state. So Claudia Jones was arrested three times. So she was arrested first in 1948 under the 1980 Immigration Act and uh, the FBI started to uh, really try to build a case to deport her. So here I want to mention that uh, Claudia Jones um, never became a US citizen, even though she came to the US early as a child uh, and she applied for US citizenship, but um, she wasn't able to uh, become naturalized. And um, she was arrested again um, with a, a communist leader, Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, under the Smith Act, which made it illegal to advocate or be a member of, of an organization that advocated the violent overthrow of the United States government. 
right? So uh, even though she was able to bail herself out of uh, uh, imprisonment, but she was arrested again in 1951 under uh, the new McCarran Water Act, which made legal the deportation of so-called dangerous, disloyal, and subversive non-US citizens and the seizure of US citizen passports. So even for people who were US citizens like Paul Robson, they also faced uh, political repression under this act. So as we know, Paul Robson wasn't able to perform, wasn't able uh, to do many of, uh, to, to conduct a lot of his activism because of the seizure of his passport under the McCarran Water Act. So um, then she was um, imprisoned um, for nine months. And um, she was able to uh, release early because of good behavior, but, that, uh, but right after her release from prison, um, she had to face deportation. So Claudia Jones um, then relocated to London. Um, so when she was in London, she was able to refashion herself as a third world revolutionary. So here, um, this is also uh, Carrie Boyce Davis's argument. So she observes that Claudia Jones's political activism in London indicated a reorientation away from the Soviet Communist Party line toward Pan-African and Third World emancipatory designs. So that's why when we talk about Jones's relocation, uh, it might be more appropriate to call that uh, voluntary departure because she wasn't able, uh, because she wasn't re really um, kind of, uh, uh, kind of have to stop really uh, her political activism. So in London, um, Jones articulated a politics uh, in the words of Carrie Boyce Davis, even more internationalist in scope than was possible in her prior uh, academic, uh, activist endeavors. And she was able to do so in particular in this newspaper that she founded in London, uh, the West Indian Gazette later renamed uh, the West Indian Gazette and Afro-Asian Caribbean News. So as the renaming suggests, so uh, this newspaper with the new name can actually indicate uh, or um, I guess more accurately um, the paper's political positions and also I guess the, uh, the kind of scope and the, uh, um, the demographics of its uh, uh, reading publics. Also in the UK, Jones launched one of Britain's first Caribbean carnivals Right, still in the UK, she was still involved in many uh, social movements, including um, uh, peace movements, women's liberation, decolonization, uh, and many others. So this is Claudia Jones's life, and she led a very important life, and she made important contributions to a variety of intellectual traditions. But then we have to wonder why um, many of us didn't know her before, right? So. Uh, Carlos Davis actually also uh, offers a few reflections on this, on those omissions of Claudia Jones from a variety of intellectual formations, right? So she and she calls that the deporting of the radical black female subject from U.S. political consciousness, right? So for her, it was the entanglement of the systematic silencing and erasure of black feminist internationalist voices a wave of intense anti-communist repression and uh, the imposition of precarious status on non-citizens 
um, that rendered June's alien, deportable, and unrecoverable. Right, so even after the end of uh, the former McCarthy era, so the effective ideological and political dimensions of uh, the anti-communist campaign still persisted and uh, continue to this day, actually. So this is actually, um, I guess, uh, I think Jerry's Burton study uh, has this amazing argument about what she calls the McCarthy's the structure feeling, right? And that structure feeling still exists. And that's why still many of us don't know much about um, this important tradition of Black Marxism. Thanks for that answer. Uh, and I'm glad you brought up Paul Robeson and Art. I mean, in, in the carnival, it, one of the things uh, that David Scott said a few months ago in starting the series is that an insight in Caribbean philosophy is that politics doesn't have to go around art somehow. It is through the artistic through the aesthetic that we get political and ethical insights. And I, uh, one of the reasons I'm interested in Jones is her stress and maybe even corrective, we could say to British communists in emphasizing the carnival and cultural activities uh, as important for politics. And also because you know, we're a few days from uh, Robeson's January 23rd uh, passing. So it's a, it's a, it's a, Good time to be thinking about those things. Um, I, I wanted to ask if you could say a little more. You have a nice phrase in a forthcoming article about Jones's anti-imperialist political imaginary. And you're talking there in part about how she brought questions of race and gender to the Communist Party in both the US and, and in England. So uh, I'm wondering if you could give us some introductory notes on her internationalism and this imaginary or reimagining you think she's stressing? Yeah, thank you so much for the question. So um, if you go to, um, well, you can go now, but after the, the pandemic, if you go to London, if you go to uh, pay um, respect to Claudia Jones at the Highgate Cemetery, and uh, you can see on that plaque, uh, you know, like a kind of short uh, kind of uh, uh, you know, description of her life's work. So the word anti-imperialism actually uh, is central. Um, so indeed, uh, for many people, Claudia Jones is uh, first and foremost an anti-imperialist activist, right? And that anti-imperialism is central to her own, um, I guess, Black internationalist feminist politics. Right, so uh, still, um, Carrie Davis does a great job in her book about uh, Claudia Jones's, um, I guess, uh, contributions to um, this radical intellectual tradition. So here, I just really also want to, you know, just uh, mention a few things uh, related to her politics, uh, her anti-imperialist politics, and uh, her conceptualization of gender, uh, class, and race. So, um, as Carrie Davis shows, Claudia Jones was a communist of Marxist-Leninist orientation. Right, so Angela Davis, uh, in uh, in uh, race class, uh, in in her um, uh, like classic book, um, race class and women, described uh, Claudia Jones as a dedicated communist who believed that socialism held the only promise of liberation for Black women, for Black people, as a whole, and indeed for the multiracial working class. So. To understand Claudia Jones's politics, we have to, first of all, uh, really understand her position uh, in uh, the international communist movement. But still, uh, even though Jones's many analysis drew from 
Leninist Marxism, or uh, in particular her positions on women drew from Leninist positions on women, it was her infusion of black women's concerns into Marxism-Leninism that puts Jones, to use the words of Carol Davis, left of Karl Marx. Mm -hmm. Right, so here uh, Jones actually offers a refinement of Marxism uh, to make sure that uh, this framework can actually meet uh, uh, the full extent of uh, the realities of uh, working class black women, right? So um, in particular, Claudia Jones developed this idea of, of super exploitation of black women, right? So this in a way anticipates what we now know uh, as uh, the intersectionality, right? And there's, we could have another discussion about intersectionality and institutionalization of it, but still, uh, Claudia Jones was able to identify racism, class exploitation, sexism, imperialism as interlinked with each other, right? So she also um, really um, sees um, a black woman's centrality in um, uh, the struggle for black women's and working class liberation, right? Um, and, and, and still, um, for her, so this linking of multiple issues uh, could also happen uh, within an international context, right? So for Claudia Jones, she was able to um, articulate um, a sharp-eyed analysis of imperialism and, um, uh, and, 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 and the race, right? So for Claudia Jones, she um, actually uh, was uh, one of the uh, first intellectuals to caution against U.S. imperialism in the Caribbean. And uh, she uh, uh, was um, in a way, uh, so this is also Caribbean service argument. So she, in a way, like uh, uh, Amy Cesaire, right? So cautions against uh, U.S. intervention in the Caribbean. But she also talks about the kind of surge of Caribbean national liberation movements that uh, happened, that were happening alongside global revolutions in Asia, Africa, and other parts of the world. So here, Claudia Jones still was able to link multiple struggles together. And when she really um, tried to make all those linkages, she wasn't just you know, comparing these things, right? She was able to see how global capitalism, how imperialism actually did connect um, struggles in different locales, how struggles within um, the metropolis actually uh, were connected to struggles in the colonies, right? So this is um, uh, basically a very brief analysis, I guess, summary of Claudia Jones's politics. And I would encourage people to uh, read her own words and read uh, uh, works on Claudia Jones. Yeah, there's a lot more to talk about. And, uh, and I think her journalism, I mean, why she chose a kind of journalistic mode and to make, uh, what Stuart Hall would call an intervention. Um, po her poetry, those kind of practices. So maybe that will come up in the Q&A if people are interested. I want to give you some time to give your more formal presentation now that we've introduced more of Jones and talked about some of it. And I encourage everybody to post uh, in the chat along the way. And then uh, once Yifang is done with his presentation, we'll go to the chat. So go ahead. Thank you very much. Um, so I, um, I'm going to just share um, a little bit. Um, so yes, uh, I think everyone can 
see uh, the PowerPoint, right? It looks good, yeah. Okay, great. All right, so uh, still, uh, thanks everyone for um, staying with us. Um, so the title of um, this uh, presentation is um, Decolonization is not a dinner party, right? So um, for those of you who are more familiar with the, the history of Chinese communism, probably know uh, this, uh, I guess, important uh, statement from Mao Zedong. So, um, so, and actually there are novels, I guess, dissertations that are titled Revolution is not in a party, right? Uh, but here, um, I want to uh, really offer this uh, spin on this uh, statement to show, first of all, Claudia Jones's engagement with the China and Mao, but also to show really the difficulty, the difficult work one um, has to put into waging a revolution, not just a, you know, uh, a revolution of, uh, in terms of political regimes, but also revolution of the mind, and also really uh, sometimes um, the importance of militancy in uh, uh, waging a, a successful revolution. So um, in um, Carol Boyce Davis's book, Left, Left of Karl Marx, um, she asks us to situate Claudia Jones within um, you know, all those uh, intellectual activist traditions that uh, uh, have thus um, far uh, exclu excluded her. And so for the pur purpose of that, in this talk, I would like to situate Claudia Jones within three intersecting intellectual activist uh, traditions. One is the uh, anti-imperialist uh, piece. Uh, one is Afro-Asian solidarity. And the last one is uh, uh, black internationalist uh, feminism. So I want to start with the peace, but I want to start my discussion about Claudia Jones's conception of peace uh, with the, something that might seem a little bit counterintuitive, that something that we generally don't associate with peace, nuclear weapons, or more specifically, Claudia Jones's support for China's nuclear weapons project. On October 16, 1964, China successfully tested an atomic bomb. The Chinese Communist Party framed this event in ideological terms, as China's State Council declared that this successful nuclear test symbolized a new era in China's defense modernization. It was a great blow to US nuclear monopoly and blackmail. It will greatly encourage all peace-loving countries and people of the world. So that was uh, the statement uh, issued from the Chinese Communist Party. Claudia Jones openly, sorry, endorsed China's nuclear weapons project and in particular echoed the party state's emphasis on the anti-imperialist implications of this successful explosion. Instead of highlighting the destructiveness of China's nuclear weapons, she focused on their symbolic functions. For her, China's successful nuclear test signaled the winning power of US empire and an imminent reordering of global politics conducive to global liberation. So 
here I have a few examples. So the uh, the two on the left are um, um, articles published in Claudia Jones's own newspaper, the West Indian Gazette and Afro-Asians uh, Caribbean News. And uh, the one, um, the third one on the right um, is a screenshot uh, from the database of the uh, Renmin Rebao, People's Daily, the uh, uh, official mouthpiece of the Communist uh, uh, Party of China. So in both newspapers, Claudia Jones articulated her support for uh, China's nuclear uh, aspirations. And in particular, in the pages of uh, People's Daily, she accepted an interview and she um, really hailed China's successful nuclear explosion as conducive to global liberation. So in the pages in this article in uh, the People's Daily, she wrote that China's successful nuclear test for the purpose of self-defense has broken the US nuclear monopoly and was a rebuff to US policy of nuclear blackmail. She also informed the readers of the People's Daily of the broad support that Beijing's military modernization drive had gained among revolutionaries in the third world. Uh, here, here's a quote. The news that China successfully exploded its first atomic bomb has panicked imperialists and reactionaries from around the world, but it has heartened the world's people, especially the anti-imperialist peoples in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Now I'd like to um, contextualize Claudia Jones's support for China's nuclear weapons project. I um, argue that um, it was into the intersecting contexts of the China-Soviet split, of the Soviet efforts at peaceful coexistence with US imperialism, of escalating US attacks on fledgling decolonizing nations, and of the reorientation of third world liberation movements toward violent rebellion as a new theory of revolutionary violence that Jones articulated her impatience with um, uh, the pace of global decolonization and sympathy with China's radical anti-imperialist stance. By the time of the successful 1964 explosion, clashes over the global nuclear arms arrangement had dominated Sino-Soviet relations. The post-Stalinist policy of peaceful coexistence um, prized the rapprochement with the West to stabilize the bipolar relationship over militant anti-imperialist internationalism, whereas Beijing oriented its foreign policy toward forcefully supporting third world struggles against imperialism, colonialism, and capitalism. The USSR expected its third world allies to accept its model for global nuclear order that promoted disarmament and counseled against armed struggles, which was actually the extent nuclear monopoly blueprint also promoted by the US. While China sought to become a nuclear power, publicized its successful test as a boon to global decolonization and try to foment global anti-imperialist revolutions, mirroring the third world's determination to chart a different path to modernity. Pulled into the vortex of the China-Soviet conflict to maintain her access to China's public sphere, uh, 
to still be friendly with the Chinese state, to continue forging revolutionary solidarity and to step up her anti-imperialist activism, Jones sided with Beijing. Claudia Jones offered her take on the deepening split um, in an editorial on the Soviet signing of the partial test ban treaty with the US and the UK in 1963, which for the Chinese leadership once again signaled the Soviet turn to alignment with Western imperialism. As Jones reported, the consequences of the agreement aroused in the decolonizing world suspicion that, quote, the main beneficiary of the treaty which was signed in Moscow is primarily US imperialism, end quote. She revealed deliberate loopholes in the treaty, the legalization of underground nuclear tests, the possible spread of nuclear weapons to US allies and the lack of enforcement teeth. Jones therefore chided the USSR for signing the ban, quote, that the Socialist Soviet Union is one of the signatories has unfortunately not switched fears that the partial test ban treaty is not the millennium either as regards an end to the grave threat of nuclear wars or nuclear testing, end quote. As Jones pointed out, the signers wanted, quote, on the one hand to deny the non-nuclear powers, particularly the People's Republic of China to participate on an equal footing, on the other to compel them to affix their signatures to a treaty in which they have no say, end quote. The US state, however, remained the arch enemy. And in her writing, Claudia Jones repeatedly warned of the haunting specters of US new colonialism, imperialism, and nuclear militarism. Her newspaper, the West Indian Gazette and Afro-Asian Caribbean News apprised readers of a heightened US imperialist aggression and encroachments in decolonizing nations that threatened to dash their dreams of national self-determination. So here are a few examples um, in which Claudia Jones still uh, urged the urgency of fighting imperialism in uh, the pages of her newspaper. Um, so the first one is uh, about the Congo um, and uh, also about US threat to Cuba, right? So these, according to Jones, are uh, you know, the, uh, the unfulfilled emancipatory dreams, right? Still the kind of uh, impending dangers that um, uh, were still ongoing in the world. Um, with these um, in the historical background, Jones's newspaper documented a surge of anti-imperialist militancy in the third world. And she actually enthusiastically reported this turn to armed struggle. And she did that, for instance, in this article, which is also uh, on the PowerPoint uh, about a conference. Um, it's uh, uh, the second conference of heads of states or governments of non-aligned countries, right? So, uh, according to Jones, that conference demonstrated, quote, the spectacular development of national democratic movements, end quote, at this conference with, quote, the colonial system of imperialism crumbling rapidly. Armed struggle was confirmed as the necessary legitimate means in the fight for national liberation and for safeguarding national independence, end quote. 
which ran counter to the Soviet principle of peaceful coexistence and competition with US imperialists. With those and other articles in her newspaper that highlight the inherent violence of imperialism and capitalism, the intensification of nationalist struggles in the third world and China's militant anti-imperialism, um, as well as the changing geopolitical landscape, Claudia Jones was able to offer a historicized justification for the use of force and her support for China's nuclear weapons project which for Jones exemplified this counter hegemonic stance that was gaining solid ground. There are definitely other examples and, and I would like to talk about more in the Q&A if you are interested. So here um, um, I want to show that Claudia Jones you know, was um, disappointed with uh, the Soviet stance of peaceful coexistence with um, Western imperialism and um, uh, the USSR's kind of uh, lackluster support for uh, third world militant struggles. And she also showed really this urgency for the third world um, to fight imperialism, right? And so here I want to really show that Claudia Jones um, still um, was definitely a militant anti-imperialist revolutionary. And, um, but, with her anti-imperialist politics in mind, Claudia Jones actually offered a different conception of peace uh, that I call um, uh, anti-imperialist peace. For Claudia Jones, anti-imperialism was the hallmark of her peace activism. In articulating support for China's stated nuclear aspirations, Claudia Jones transformed the concept of peace into grounds for solidarity and resistance against imperialism, colonialism, and capitalism. So I want to invite uh, everyone to um, just take a look at the, uh, that image on the left uh, of this article, which was also published in her newspaper, Are West Indians Interested in Peace? Right, so this um, is an editorial on the supposed public indifference in uh, different Caribbean communities to the global peace movement of the time. So in that editorial, Jones proffered a different grassroots conception of peace that prioritized struggles against colonialism and white supremacy over arms control and non-proliferation. For Afro-Caribbean immigrants in Britain, quote, the atomic bomb symbolizes a struggle between two white groups of nations, and there seems little reason why the non-white population of the world should become involved, end quote, if global white supremacy remained unchallenged. Jones found it, quote, impossible to unravel the threads of peace and freedom, and called for, quote, mostly white peace activists and Black Britons to work together to transform the anti-nuclear movement into one that addressed Another quote, the broader issues of the causes of violence of war. So namely racism, colonialism, and capitalism. This article in this way urged the peace movement to persuade, quote, even a fraction of West, a fraction of West Indian population to accept that the fight for dignity of dignity of all men is a fight without color, and encouraged Afro-Caribbean immigrants to foster 
quote, a rethinking of the sort of society that asks for peace, end quote. For Jones, the dismantling of imperialism and colonialism was a prerequisite for global peace. She communicated this position perhaps most eloquently in her report on the 10th World Conference Against Hydrogen and, uh, and Atom Bomb in Japan in 1964. I think I have an image. Here, yes, okay, yes. So uh, the one actually on the far left is actually about that conference in Tokyo. Uh, Jones uh, argued that the struggle for world peace and the decolonization of the third world should go hand in hand, position the US imperialism as simultaneously intensifying colonial and new colonial oppression and the threat of a nuclear war and position racism, colonialism and militarism as interlinked with each other in other words, for her, the danger to peace was not nuclear weapons, but, quote, the mercenaries, the US imperialists, who wield them and threaten peace in Southeast Asia and the world, end quote. The struggle against imperialism is therefore the struggle for peace. Jones surely vehemently opposed the nu nuclear militarism, uh, as can be seen um, in um, this editorial, um, which is on um, the right of the screen. Um, so Jones actually um, wrote this editorial in pro protest of uh, uh, like all those uh, proposed nuclear tests in um, Sahara. Um, but still Jones sought to infuse anti-colonial and anti-imperialist politics into global strivings for peace, right? So here, um, uh, I want to um, remind us of uh, this concept uh, proposed um, by um, um, uh, several peace, radical peace scholars about the coloniality of peace, right? When peace uh, is deployed uh, to uh, disrupt or to discourage people from militantly changing all those social conditions, institutions that uh, really can, continues the reproduction of all those uh, different forms of uh, oppression, right? But still for Claudia Jones, peace has to happen, um, you know, uh, based on anti-imperialism and uh, anti-colonialism. So um, here, I also want to show that, um, you know, Claudia Jones uh, talked about the urgency of fighting imperialism and she talked about the importance of fighting imperialism to peace. She then actually offered her own theory about wards. So Claudia Jones had this theory of wards and just wards and unjust wards, right? So for Claudia Jones, her peace work was not really strictly pacifist. While condemning all imperialist wars as unjust, she endorsed the use of force by national liberation movements and saw these anti-imperialist struggles as able to curtail the aggression of US imperialism and thus as a just fight for peace. She, quote, denounced the struggles against independent movements and the, so she just, you, you used the uh, quote herself, peace movements, which failed to distinguish just from unjust wars, end quote. For Jones, China's nuclear weapons project was part of the just war against imperialism, for Beijing could effectively counter US nuclear menace 
aid ongoing anti-colonial struggles and thus advance global peace. Therefore, through formulating a peace politics informed by the Chinese practice of radical internationalism, Jones articulated a decidedly militant anti-imperialist politics, right? So as you probably have seen, um, there definitely is some romanticization or some conception of China that uh, seems counterintuitive to many of us now. And I will talk about that in um, situating uh, Claudia Jones within the second tradition, uh, the Afro-Asian third world solidarity tradition, right? So still, I do want to really show the importance of even mentioning Claudia Jones in that tradition, right? So um, I'm not sure, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how uh, familiar you are with the, these people um, on the screen, right? So these people are really the icons of Afro-Asian solidarity, right? You can see um, in the first instance, Du Bois and Mao, right? Um, in the second instance, um, Hugh Newton and Mao, and then here we have Robert F. Williams and Mao. So these images actually show that still current and historical conceptualizations of Afro-Asian solidarity really are grounded in a very heteromasculine imaginary, right? So to a degree, um, you know, scholars and even those activists who were engaged in those projects were able to question the link between heteromasculine representational forms and discourses and revolutionary solidarity, right? So that's a question we have to think about, right? And to what degree black internationalist activity um, was actually a sphere of male activity, right? So we still have to think about that as well. And still the story of Claudia Jones shows us that actually it's not. So black women like her made important contributions to that uh, 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 tradition. And that was not really just really adding names to a roster of people, right? So my larger work actually seeks to talk about black women's contributions to that tradition. But here I wanna talk about Claudia Jones's contributions more specifically. So in addition to centering Claudia Jones in this account of Afro-Asian solidarity making, it is also important to recognize another, I guess, consensus within the scholarship of Afro-Asian solidarity about, uh, you know, uh, misunderstanding about really the messiness of um, the work uh, to make solidarity, right? So I want to show the hard work that black internationalists like Claudia Jones had to put into forging transnational solidarities. I want to explore how she cautiously navigated competing visions of Afro-Asian solidarity, and in particular, the rapids of the unfolding Sino-Soviet split. So I want to talk about how Claudia Jones navigated the muddy waters of global politics in two locales. One, uh, Tokyo. So as I mentioned, suggested, um, she went to Tokyo for a conference uh, against nuclear weapons. So her, uh, so her participation at that conference in 1964 is a case uh, in point. For Beijing, the, the meeting afforded an opportunity to reorient the international peace movement away 
from only opposing nuclear weapons and toward fighting U.S. imperialism. Liu Ningyi, the Chinese diplomat leading the Chinese delegation at the conference, sought to discredit the Soviet doctrine of peaceful coexistence that viewed, quote, nuclear weapons rather than imperialism headed by the U.S. as source of nuclear war, end quote, with the memory of the conclusion of the Moscow Treaty that I just uh, mentioned still fresh, Liu Ningyi charged that, quote, the head of a socialist state willingly tags after the United States and acts as a cat's paw for a nuclear fraud, end quote. Attending the conference as a delegate and vice chairperson of the conference drafting committee, Claudia Jones, received a copy of Liu's speech and was aware of the deepening fissures between the two socialist states. So uh, if you actually go to the Schomburg Center, you actually ought to find that copy in her papers. Um, she opted for the Chinese line, but in her account of the speaking of the meeting, which, uh, so there was a speaking of the meeting. Uh, so uh, those in support of the Soviet doctrine organized a parallel conference so Claudia Jones wrote about that uh, in her newspaper as well. So when she wrote about this, she did not parrot the Chinese interpretation. She continued to repudiate US imperialism as, quote, the chief enemy of peace, end quote, even as she laid blame on the right-wing Japanese socialists who called a parallel conference to, quote, rival and confuse the delegates. Um, and, uh, the Soviet, end quote, and the Soviet Union that supported the splitters for disrupting unity, the quote, confused, end quote, Soviet delegates assumed the secondary role and were, quote, forced to leave due to what they considered, quote, undemocratic procedure, end quote. The Chinese diplomat, nonetheless, directed his invective primarily against Moscow for, quote, in league with US imperialists, uh, the USSR instigated a handful of disruptive elements to organize a splitist meeting and is conspiring with US imperialism against the Japanese people to sabotage and divide the Japanese movement against A and H bombs, end quote. Jones, however, did not seem to question the Soviet Union's commitment to dismantling US imperialism but simply chided Moscow for failing to resolutely support militant nationalist struggles, compromising with the West and jeopardizing revolutionary solidarity. Here, Jones sought to understand, understate, if not to smooth over, the ideological and geopolitical animosities between China and the Soviet Union and constructed a selective narrative in ways congruent with the imperative for united struggle against US imperialism. So the second um, locale in which she did a similar thing was the USSR. So this is um, a report of her trip to the USSR in uh, late 1962. Claudia Jones threaded her reluctance to reveal the deep rift between the two erstwhile allies, her reconciliatory efforts and her persistent championing of global anti-imperialist struggles through her uh, report, visit to the USSR. Uh, for her, she was curious to see a land which 
quote, I already knew about racial discrimination to the extent of making a legal crime and where the equality of all people is a recognized axiom, end quote. Her publicized admiration for the Soviet Union notwithstanding, um, Carabois Davis discerns that Jones's account for her visit to China seems more, quote, energetic. Here, Jones once again refrained from directly castigating the USSR, even as she distanced herself from the Soviet line of peaceful coexistence and competition and stressed the congruence between her internationalist politics and China's militant internationalism. As historian Lawrence Lude demonstrates, by November 1962, when Jones published the, the travelogue, Chinese propaganda had already been blasting the Soviet revisionists for the betrayal of the communist cause and for capitulating to US imperialism. And quote, escalating Sino-Soviet tensions were thus unlikely to go unnoticed by Jones, but she chose to downplay the implications of the Soviet Union's equivocation of the need to militant fight US imperialism and support armed national liberation struggles. In this report, she offered a selective narrative that avoided mentioning those aspects of Soviet foreign policy that she did not agree with. This discursive maneuver enabled Jones not only to encourage revolutionary alliances with the Soviet Union, but more importantly, transcend the fissures in the global struggle against US imperialism in the wake of open hostilities between China and the Soviet Union, thus shaping the geopolitical situation on her own terms. Likewise, Claudia Jones' intellectual production in the pages of the West Indian Gazette and Afro-Asian Caribbean News did not attempt to merely serve China's geopolitical ambitions, even as Jones hailed the country's commitment to radical internationalism and her intellectual production did also not amount to harsh polemics um, against the Soviet government whose doctrine of peaceful existence she openly disagreed with. If Claudia Jones' nationalist internationalism established her as a non-aligned revolutionary, her textual operations aimed at Sino-Soviet rapprochement enabled her to forge ahead with her own priorities in alliance with but not beholden to socialist powers with progressive forces across the world split into pro-Soviet and pro-Chinese factions, fraction, factions. So the last tradition that I want to um, talk about is um, black feminist internationalism. So I won't talk about really um, the uh, crucial role of travel in developing Jones's view on China and advancing the causes she held dear. So scholars such as Carrie Boyce Davis, Keisha Blaine, Tiffany Gale, uh, Annette Joseph Gabriel, and many others um, have talked about really the importance of travel in developing black women's identities, uh, intellectual formations and ideas. So here I want to further um, uh, kind of, I want to be in that tradition and further talk about Claudia Jones's travel. So we know she was in Japan. From Japan, at the invitation and at the invitation of the Chinese Peace Committee, Claudia Jones, as a member 
of a group of conference attendees representing 13 countries and regions arrived in Beijing two weeks after the conclusion of the, uh, the conference in Japan. As she embarked on the China trip on the heels of uh, the conference, her participation in the deliberations of global nuclear elimination at that gathering set the tone for the later visit. Jones understood the seven-week tour of China, offered her rare repertorial perspectives on China's domestic modernization project, including its nuclear weapons program, its anti-imperialist foreign policy. Her first-hand observation of the achievements of Chinese socialist construction, in turn, shaped her views on China, national liberation movements, anti-imperialist and anti-capitalist struggles, and international solidarity. So Jones, uh, in um, her China travelogue, marveled at, quote, the great achievements in socialist construction in the new China, based on its policy of self-reliance in the fields of agriculture and industrialization in light and heavy industry, end quote. Before her trip to China, Jones had stressed the importance of self-reliance. And for her, China's successful nuclear detonation also furnished evidence, quote, the great achievements for Chinese workers, scientists, technical personnel to conduct China's first nuclear test further confirmed the correctness and success of the principle of self-reliance for the Chinese people, end quote. So juxtaposed with the Soviet imposition of the superpower model for nuclear order uh, that, according to Beijing, deprives sovereign states the right to develop atomic weapons, China's insistence on acquiring nuclear capabilities and its posture of self-reliance exemplified unswervingly defiant anti-imperialist militancy. Unlike visit to the USSR, um, her travel report on China um, offers an extensive discussion of Beijing's anti-imperialist foreign policy. So that report on her trip to USSR mostly focuses on domestic social ex experiments in the USSR. So in her China travelogue, Jones took notice of, quote, the new morality that pervades this vast and ancient land, a spirit of each helping the other, end quote. This mentality had driven China to render, quote, massive aid to newly emerging countries in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, end quote. According to Jones's report on her conversation with the Song Qingling, uh, so this is a uh, Song Qingling, as you can see on the left, Vice President of China and the widow of Sun Yat-sen, the Chinese female leader, stressed that, quote, we feel it our duty to help those countries under the heel of imperialism, particularly U.S. imperialism, end quote. Sun also asked Jones about the national liberation struggles in the Caribbean and the recent Tokyo meeting. Therefore, in Jones's writing on China, Beijing's internationalism, uh, Beijing quote internationalism and the firm anti-imperialist stand become clear, end quote. Jones still emphasis on the Chinese doctrine of self-reliance and internationalism betrayed her own ongoing formulation of black internationalism. According to literary historian Shiro Hikashida, 
Claudia Jones, quote, pointed out the national liberation, that national liberation could not be postponed, obscured, or skipped within the historical process of imperialist conflict, end quote. Self-determination for oppressed nations, for her, held the only promise of socialist liberation. And national liberation movements must coalesce into a global crusade against colonialism, imperialism, and capitalism. A perusal of her travel report gives the impression that Mao's China was where her Black nationalist politics were put into practice, and what had happened and was happening there proved her right. Indeed, Claudia Jones framed China's social, economic, cultural achievements in her own Black feminist nationalist terms and crafted a, narrow, a selective, romanticizing narrative of her experiences in China in alignment with her own radical vision. Jones' article about her private meeting with Sun Qingling, uh, entitled First Lady of the World, I Talked with Madam Sun Yansan, published in the West Indian Gazette after Asian Caribbean News, conveys her great admiration for Sun and China's socialist feminist revolution that had purportedly enabled women to assume leadership roles. As the article begins with a bold assertion, quote, Madam Sun Qingling, vice chairman of the People's Republic of China and the widow of the famed Sun Yat-sen, president of the first democratic Republic of China may properly be termed the first lady of the world, end quote. Jones sought to inflect China's state socialist feminism toward her own feminist politics. Her feminism, according to Hikashida, maintained, quote, the importance, even centrality, of national liberation movements or achieving Black women's social, political, and economic rights, end quote. In her China travelogue, she highlighted as evidence of the transformation of women's status in China after the revolution. Quote, the achievement of China's women who are scientists, teachers, doctors in medical sciences, as agricultural specialists, pilots, artists, sportswomen, model workers, industry, leaders of the government. Ultimately, she also infused her own militant anti-imperialism into her portrait of Sun Qingling. Importantly, she did not cast Sun in a supporting role whose political life revolved around a great male leader. Quote, known to millions as the wife of the late Dr. Sun Yat-sen. She is particularly known to the people of five continents as founder of the China Welfare Institute, end quote. Jones underscored Sun's own anti-imperialist credentials. She has, quote, for over a quarter of a century made contributions under her own lights to China's liberation and socialist future at every stage of its crucial anti-imperialist and anti-feudal struggle. However, though through emphasizing Sun's relief efforts, educational work, and commitment to children's welfare, which, quote, played an invaluable role in China's just struggle for national defense and later against uh, its own reactionary nationalist government, backed by U.S. imperialism, end quote. Jones seemed to perpetuate the dominant gender division of labor within nationalist struggles based on seemingly natural gender differences. So to end um, this discussion, I would also like to talk about the 
really complexities of black women's internationalism, uh, which scholars, uh, including Keisha Blaine, um, have asked us to consider. So as we have seen, Jones crafted romanticized and sometimes counterfactual tribal narratives on China that overstated the virtues of the regime's radical but often brutal transformative projects and downplayed their violence. Her romanticization of the Chinese revolution and socialist construction was likely to be a product of her own ignorance of the party state's sophisticated efforts to manipulate outside perception of itself. We can talk about that later. Carefully orchestrated tours, thus um, like Claudia Jones's, accentuated manifestations of socialist modernity in communes, schools, factories, stores, and at the same time, masked the sociopolitical realities that could undermine the legitimacy of the party state, thereby inculcating only certain ideas and images in the guests. Although Jones did mention her travel companion, she did not question the objectivity of the facts she found during her visit. In choosing to defend and pop publicize China's principles of self-reliance and internationalism. Jones simultaneously called for decolonizations and movements to unite with Beijing and affirmed the validity of her own radical views. But in the meantime, she eschewed articulating any position that clearly, openly diverges from Maoist lines and remained largely silent on the harsh political and socioeconomic realities in China. Her accounts thus granted Chinese political and ideological leadership, meaning China was the leader and the rest of the world had to subordinate. Uh, she also helped iron out alternative worldviews and discipline Chinese citizens and show up domestic sentiment and commitment to CCP's ideological policies within the borders of China that Jones's narratives had to serve China's geopolitical and domestic aspirations exemplified the complexion, complexities and the contradictions of black internationalism. So this is an image of Claudia Jones and Mao. And to our end, I just want to show a few citations of Claudia Jones. So here we can definitely see a black feminist uh, politics of citation. So the first image um, about Vicky Garvin in 1970s. So Vicky Garvin um, was in China for many years. And when she came back, she gave a lot of talks and she was also a Communist Party member. She would often talk about the important work that Claudia Jones did. And we have Angela Davis. And then in the 1980s, a black feminist group in London called Camden Black Sisters did this small book about the life of Claudia Jones. And then uh, we know the book by Carol Boyce Davis. And then very recently, uh, this uh, movie, uh, this film by Steve McQueen in the anthology uh, Small X. So episode five, education, about black women's educational activism. So here, a black woman-led school, Sunday school, teaches the work of Claudia Jones. Right, so on MLK Day, I would want to uh, encourage us to think about how should we remember all those radical peoples um, with all those erasures and disciplining in mind. Thank you very much.
Thanks a lot. That was an insightful talk. I learned a lot. Uh, I want to encourage people to post in the chat and I'll start here with the questions and then we'll see how it goes. So uh, the first question says, and, and we always, it's our policy at the Center for Ethics just to uh, cut the video at this point. So we won't be posting um, this section. It will not make it uh, uh, into the video. So we're hoping to encourage people to take risks or whatever it is. Okay, so the first question is, the point about the coloniality of peace reminds me of debates about nonviolence. The person goes on to ask, were there personal ways Claudia Jones advocated self-defense? Did she arm and train herself and other women? Um, that is a, a great question. So um, based on um, the archival research I have done, I have not seen um, Claudia Jones um, uh, like analyses of um, like uh, self-defense, like, you know, kind of interpersonal self-defense. Um, yeah, but um, so that is a great question. But still, um, I think um, when Claudia Jones talked about revolutionary violence, or I guess when she talked about nuclear weapons and the peace, so she was more interested in exposing, you know, the coloniality of peace, right? How peace could be used to camouflage, you know, um, colonial and imperialist interests. And uh, so she wasn't, um, you know, uh, trying to justify the use of nuclear weapons. So one thing that I didn't mention was her support for China's minimalist approach to nuclear weapons. So still uh, China, like many nuclear powers, uh, pronounced that they would not use nuclear weapons unless they were attacked first. Right. So Claudia Jones actually made a point about that. So still, um, I think she was more interested in the symbolic functions of nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. And she was also interested in how really the symbols of nuclear weapons deployed in a way conducive to anti-imperialism could actually disrupt the kind of suffocating Cold War order and to create a space for decolonization. Okay, thanks, that's helpful. Uh, as we wait for a few more questions to come in, I wanted to follow up on your discussion of her uh, just war theory. Could you say a little bit more about what she counted as war? Um, there has been in this kind of, in following the traditions that you've been underscoring, people like Joy James have written a lot about policing and, and the way that war is described in foreign conflicts, but not internally, and how that misses a lot of struggles and violence against women, particularly black women, these, this kind of scholarship. So I'm interested in uh, if you could elaborate a little bit more about uh, Claudia Jones and this just war theory. Yes, uh, thank you so much for the question. Um, so um, still, um, Claudia Jones, I, I still haven't been able to find a lot of uh, um, you know, archival sources um, suggesting Claudia Jones's ideas about just and unjust wars. Uh, so I found that, um, I guess, quote, uh, in, a, in that interview she did with the Chinese uh, state media uh, outlet, and um, in which she talked about um, war, like, like unjust wars and just wars, and um, later, um, which is also something that I um, 
did not mention. So at the, the conference in Tokyo, so Claudia Jones um, adopted a position that um, I wouldn't say um, championed uh, revolutionary violence, but she talked about uh, different nations deciding its own course of revolution. So I think, um, so she wanted to defend each nation um, the right to uh, rev revolutionary violence, right? So, so these are, I guess, um, the, the, the kind of references I have been able to find regarding uh, Claudia Jones' theory of wars and unjust wars. And um, I think it's um, definitely a, a valid question to think about um, that and think about um, what is missing in um, that articulation of war. But I think here still for Claudia Jones, um, which is actually, this is also a point that she agreed with Mao about the importance of uh, politics, the importance of ideology. So another thing that I did not mention in the talk is her, I guess, appropriation of Mao's statement that the new, the, the, the atomic weapon is a paper tiger, right? So now Mao did not want to downplay the destructiveness of nuclear weapons, but for Mao, it was um, the ideology, it was the political side um, that really determined um, the nature of nuclear weapons. So I guess for Claudia Jones, it was really the, the ideology, the, um, the, the principles behind the, the development of nuclear weapons or wars that uh, really determined the nature. So I guess in that sense, Claudia Jones here was still trying to still expose, um, I guess, the kind of hypocrisies um, of all the talk about race, a peace at the time.